Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. In this episode, we meet Luis Bagnell and Nuria Gonzalez Blanco, director and producer, respectively, of the Oscar nominated short film Late Afternoon. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Nearly two whole months into the new year. Lovely to be back. Just happiness abound. Yeah. Uh, how are you doing, Steve? Happy? Well, I've got no choice, have I, Ben? <laughs> Seeing as it's just been forced upon me, yes, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted. Thanks for asking. How are you, mate? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Happy also. Reasonably. Yeah. Carrying on. Easy come, easy go. Wow. <laughs> Days begin. Days end. Punch in, punch out. I suppose we can crack on with the first podcast of 2019, or 2019, if that's how you roll. It's a year that everyone's already going to want to forget, Ben. That's, it doesn't really matter. This will just, we won't refer to it as a time, or, you know, we won't say, oh, it was the the noughties, or it was the teens. We'll just call it the cluster f- <laughs> That's what it'll be known as politically and just that, that era in time. My my yeah. general attitude is I don't need to forget because I'm just not going to absorb anything. Like, <laughs> as it happens, I'm just going to... I've trained myself to kind of be, live in a perpetual sort of daze. I'll be like, oh, didn't we used to have fruit in our supermarkets? But then the memory will fade and we'll get used to the new reality, whatever that may hold. Yummy turnips. <laughs> That we have to scratch out of the cold, hard ground, Ben. <laughs> what a time to be alive. <laughs> My goodness, what Mary Japes and Doodadery has been going on in the animation world in these many, many moons since uh, we spoke to you all last. And what's happened since? My goodness, it's award season-ish. Yeah. Kind of winding down, I suppose. We've got the Oscars left, but we had the Annie Awards and the BAFTAs both come and gone. How delighted were you with the results of those on a scale of one to maximum elation? I was maximalizationized out of my face, Ben. It was, it was superb, wasn't it? The BAFTAs were interesting for me because it was the first time in, I think, 450 years that the NFTS haven't been in the category. What are they going to do with all those banners they had printed? I don't know. Just stare at them in shame. But yeah, uh, NFTS, not in the, not in the running. Uh, their stranglehold has been uh, loosened, uh, but it was like, quite a nice lineup, I think, this year in terms of the nominees for the BAFTAs uh, and uh, for the animated short or British short animation award. Uh, it was nice to see uh, Rough House uh, by uh, Jonathan Hodgkinson uh, take away the award. Hodgson, not Hodgkinson. God, what am I like, eh? It just feels like a bit of a palate cleanser hmm. this year. We've kind of moved away from the notion that the only new British content has to come from a well-established university. Yeah. That actually people are being kind of resourceful beyond that stage of their life and that there is a world of animated short filmmaking beyond being a student within England, which is you know, encouraging because it's the kind of thing... We see all over the world get, you know, really pushed and different countries have different attitudes toward independent films. The last few years hasn't really felt like there's been a lot of outsider enthusiasm toward that in the UK. 
So that's an encouraging thing. I think those three mm. being in the running, you know, thinking of something like Martha, which was such a uh, self-started endeavor. They got some chump change for it off Kickstarter, I believe. It was many, many years ago now. But for the most part, it was just them kind of cracking on with it and persevering with it. And it's done in that very kind of remote operation way of, you know, animating on the go, which I think is fantastic. And then there's I'm OK with uh, Lizzie Hobbs, which is, I, I, I love uh, Lizzie Hobbs' work. I think it's absolutely beautiful. I like the, the old, old, very old man. Uh, I remember that seeing that one for the first time and just on there on this uh, on the big screen thinking how did what I don't get eh I just loved it it was just I was a student and I'd seen it for the first time this kind of beautiful blobby watercolors up on the screen and just wondering how they did it and how they could through the use of sound and just really basic shapes convey a story set in a particular time it was just beautiful beautiful work yeah, I love the one she did on the uh, typewriter recently. Hmm. I was um, managed to see Yelena back when we were up in Montreal, and there's a real kind of air of Yelena's the producer, and there's a real air of enthusiasm for I'm Okay over there as a get, you know, because it was a co-production with the NFB, and I think that's the kind of thing they keep their eyes peeled for is just something like that that uses. It's not a simple film, like it's not simplistic in its execution but it uses a lot of you know implied uh movement and implied environments and character animation and sort of mixing you know accessible visuals with abstract visuals and that kind of thing and you come away from it feeling a sort of an emotional like you know gut punch Mm. it's very effective and yeah i i would have thought if i was going to predict which one would win it probably would have been that one for that reason but Rough House, of course, you know, similarly very engaging and well done. So, Muzzle Tough. And then uh, animated film. So, this is for animated feature, and uh, it went to Olivia Coleman for The Favourite. Beautiful stuff. Well deserved. Yeah. <laughs> um, it obvious, obviously, Ben, I was having a joke there. Uh, it went to Spider Man Into the Spider Verse, which got a lot of people very happy. Yeah, they uh, they f-ing love that film. <laughs> when I say they, I mean everyone who can breathe. Uh, it's a it's a great film. It's kind of fascinating just how universally captivated uh, everyone is by it. Like it, there's usually some dissenters or quite vocal dissenters when there's a popular film, you know. But this is one that everyone has kind of really come around to. And that meta-fiction angle that it's taken, that quite a few franchises have taken, and they always fuck it up. <laughs> but this just nailed it. Mm. They, they, you know, I, I'm fairly certain that we talked about it many years ago when we started the podcast. There had been, like, you know, a Ninja Turtles thing where... It was like a whole bunch of different versions of the Ninja Turtles kind of converge on one another. Yeah. And I think they did, they tried to do something like that like twice. And the thing is, if it's not a very good film at its heart, it's not going to set the world ablaze. Uh, and I think that they were, one of them I did actually see. And I, if I remember right, it was, it felt pretty rushed. But though everyone, like I say, everyone loves what Spider-Verse did. Nice to see. I mean, it's also nice to see it not just go to another film that looks like every other film. Mm. You know, this is a film that kind of had a lot of 
you know, visual stuff to it that really kind of, you know, you can sink your teeth into if you're one of those visual geeks like me. Yeah, good stuff. Well, yeah. Look at me, I'm being all enthusiastic about the BAFTAs. I know, blimey, look at you. So, yeah, pretty, pretty successful year for those that won. Oh, and best special visual effects uh, was between Avengers Infinity War, Black Panther, which are more or less the same film, and Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, and it went to Black Panther. So there you go. Good for them. (laughs) (laughs) I knew if I was going to pour water over any enthusiasm you built up, then it would be with superhero films. Uh, and if anyone's interested in uh, hearing more about uh, Roughhouse, we've got an interview with Jonathan Hodgson uh, over on the site. So uh, just go over to Squiggly and uh, you can use the uh, search bar and just search for Roughhouse or uh, Jonathan Hodgson. You'll see Alex DeWitt's article there. What else is going on? Uh, well, let's look to the future, shall we, Ben? And uh, take a look at a couple of Disney trailers that have been released. So you can't have missed that the new trailer for Aladdin has been released to the delight of everybody. And, um, well, those that create memes and instantly go and Photoshop screenshots to make things look like Shrek uh, and stuff like that. It, it's... Yeah, it's an interesting one. And then they released the Frozen 2 trailer like two days later just to, so everyone would stop talking about how terrible the Aladdin trailer looks. Uh, have you seen the Aladdin trailer, Ben? Uh, I have not. I have seen neither. Right, yeah. okay. So... I must have subconsciously been saving it for the special <laughs> occasion that is our podcast episode recording. Shall I, uh, shall I whack it up? Please. Aladdin special look. That's the music. <laughs> All the characters we know and love. Logo. Ooh, it's slightly shinier than before. He's rubbing the lamp. Genie's coming out. Strap in. You really don't know who I am. Genie, wishes, lamp, none of that ringing a bell. Hold on a sec. I'm going to rewind. <laughs> You really don't know who I am. Genie, wishes, lamp, none of that ringing a bell. That sucks. <laughs> so I'm, I'm guessing this is the subject of the memes, correct? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. That's, that's the worst thing I've seen in a good long while. <laughs> it's, it's pretty special, isn't it? It's, it's like they've... I'm assuming that they've used a quite elaborate motion capture system... To create something that looks like the f***ing annoying orange. (laughs) The way his face is shitty. It looks like his face has been, like, comped on the way Adam and Joe would comp their mouths on Star Wars figurines. (laughs) I've, like, I've got it paused, and his face isn't lined up with his head. (laughs) I'm not kidding. (laughs) I'm going to screenshot this and include it when the upload goes up. So people will, uh... Appreciate my disdain. Um, what what freaks well, me out go. about it is from the back he looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but the front he looks like Homer Simpson. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's got this sort of like you know proper tone back, and then at the front he's got his gut hanging out. <laughs> it's like we'll have one special effects company do the back, and the other one can do the front, 
and we won't share notes. I'm aghast. <laughs> well, this is the thing with special effects uh, trailers, trailers with special effects in. Basically, I reckon maybe a week before this trailer was going to drop, they were still going, oh, we've, we've nearly got something here, another couple of weeks, and we'll have something that looks really good, and you know, we can get the translucency and not make it look too cartoony, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to line the face up to the head. Just another couple of weeks, we'll get that sorted. And then Disney rang up and went, so are you guys ready for Friday? <laughs> what, what, what's Friday? What's Friday? The, Friday's the day we're going to release the trailer. Get on with it. And they're like, oh, shh. Oh, and that's that's always what happens. And if not, they're going to go back and change this because of the backlash. The backlash has been absolutely relentless uh, for this one because there's a 50-50 scenario here with these films is that people are just yearning for the same stuff. They want exactly the same. Do Aladdin again. Do it. Well, you've got Aladdin on DVD. No, do it again, but have Will Smith as the genie. All oh, right, fine, whatever. No, not like that. <laughs> How I imagined it. <laughs> you know, it's it's just adult adult babies crying for this, crying if they don't get it, and crying if they get it. Well, I mean, what can you do? It's one of those sort of genius decisions. Okay, why why is it Will Smith? What's the if we're gonna do this, this sort of updated version? Why make this choice of picking someone with a hugely disparate? comedic style and delivery and general kind of legacy than his predecessor. And if you're going to like mix it up, uh, purposefully change it up, it just seems like a completely pulled out of a hat person to put in that role. Well, you need, you need a big name. This is it, isn't it? And you know, the original Aladdin got Robin Williams under the account that they wouldn't make a big fuss at the fact that it was Robin Williams. And now obviously they're doing the same thing again with Will Smith and and I mean who else would you have in it who who could you have in it as as the genie well anyone that's the point is anyone Steve Buscemi you know, it, there's nothing about who Will Smith is or what his body of work is that makes you go of course mm. and also it's a, it's a bigger shame obviously it's been covered on quite extensively on on Cartoon Brew with um the fact that the original writers, directors, musicians, all this kind of stuff, I don't think I don't know about musicians, but the original people who were involved in the film, the original film, the animated works, haven't been consulted or haven't been paid extra or any of this kind of stuff. It does just look like a big cash-in. Well, that's an awfully cynical take. The, the, the Disney model. If I know, imagine making money, making films to make money. <laughs> I saw that Tom Hanks Disney film. Man had a heart of gold, and his successors, I'm sure, have likewise. Yeah, it's all about movie magic, Steve. Not <laughs> sullying it with talk of finances and box office receipts. At least they didn't just give it to Jim Carrey. Oh God, because that would be like the laziest way of dealing with that character. Yeah, I'm sure his name came up in some meetings when they were spinning that big wheel and waiting for the name to to land. Yeah, it's an odd one, isn't it? But um, to wash the taste of a ladding out of uh, out of people's mouths there were disney also released the frozen 2 trailer to get people talking about something else uh, so have you seen the frozen 2 trailer ben believe it or not i've missed that one as well what where have you been uh, at work i guess getting on with your real life does the frozen 2 trailer uh, fill your heart with optimism about the future of the disney canon yeah. Uh, yes, it looks good, Ben. Smash! I, I, <laughs> it feels it's 
it's um does that delightful snowman character make an appearance well not overly he's not in it a lot which is why i like it i think (laughs) Uh, he just wanted to hang out in the sun but no one could tell him of course because oh boy (laughs) um so take a look at the teaser ben uh no i'm good (laughs) but i uh, i trust you I suspect I will uh, have the same relationship with this film as I had with the last film, which is eventually watch it when I'm babysitting my niece and find it quite agreeable. Mm. It would be a little disingenuous to claim any uh, enthusiasm for it at this stage. I hope the people who enjoyed Frozen 1 get a kick out of it. It looks very good. it's, It's full of mystery and intrigue and all that kind of stuff, and it's aimed quite solidly at the other the, the the frozen fans i'm sure you know and it shows a, a side to the characters that blah blah blah, blah 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 i'm sure the press release will come out and we'll have something to say about it don't know much by way of other upcoming films i did see a, a teaser thing for uh, a new secret life of pets oh yes dog sounds different is that just me it does doesn't he <laughs> oh boy yeah. But other than that, no, nothing's really crossed my path. I don't really know if there's much else to talk about, Ben, except for the Oscars. Talk about the Oscars. Let's, let's talk about the Oscars. Uh, I think we talked about the Oscars already. We'll talk about them again. <laughs> let's talk about uh, one of the nominees who we'll be uh, hearing from in the very near future. In this very episode, I dare say. About this time last year, we were very privileged to have the fantastic Nora Toomey on our podcast from Cartoon Saloon. Happily, I think we have someone else from Cartoon Saloon in this very episode. We do, yes. Uh, Or two, perhaps. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, Louise Bagnall, who uh, is the director of Late Afternoon, the Oscar contender that you uh, previously mentioned, and Nuria Gonzalez Blanco, uh, who is producer uh, of Late Afternoon. So we've got these guys uh, to talk about the making of the uh, Oscar contender. This is a film that I, I'm sure has crossed our paths in the same sort of context of uh, festival businesses. And as we have spoken about in uh, recent episodes, sifting through film after film after film after film after fucking film, <laughs> they tend to kind of all blend together into a big mush. And you really do come to appreciate when people make the effort with their short filmmaking. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, I have a lot of respect for the labor of any animation, regardless of the end result. Um, I try and kind of plug myself into the local community in that sense and be encouraging. Sometimes you just kind of meet people who are sort of circling uh, in a holding pattern a bit, and uh, they're not really kind of ready to evolve. They just want to hear that what they're doing is good, and criticism is taken as an insult. And it's unfortunate, you know, Mm -hmm. especially if they're actually kind of involved in the industry. You know, they're, and they're sort of left wondering, oh, why isn't my career progressing? I think what Cartoon Saloon have been absolutely fantastic with over the years, as with several other studios that we speak about, nurturing their internal talent. Yeah. Really identifying when people have something to say and an effective way to say it. And I think Late Afternoon, which deals with subject matter that any festival curator or festival goer will be no stranger to, essentially dementia alzheimer's it's not an uncommon subject for short films and animation so it's i think a hallmark of how effective it is as a film that it's something that you don't feel like you've watched before 
it's tapping into a different area of you know emotional resonance mm. a few years ago i uh, did an email interview with a guy called frank dion who his english i think is about as good as my french so we had to do it with translators it's a shame because his film which is called the head vanishes uh is absolutely gorgeous and lovely uh it's about an old woman who is kind of losing it a bit completely different kind of film though to this one yeah it's one of those great testaments to how animation can be so wide ranging you know you can make a film that deals with something not dissimilar but it's a completely different ballpark the real tragedy as well is, is a film such as this one um late afternoon the head vanishes films that deal with alzheimer's and uh dementia we're not in a privileged enough position to um and the word privileged you know, in context for that is we're not in the position to understand what those people are going through. So it's from our kind of position as outsiders, we try and imagine what they may be going through. And it's, it's a voice we'll never hear. It's a, it's a, it's, there's a real tragedy in that, that we never will understand what these people are going through because sometimes it then they, they, just can't articulate oh they can't so these wonderful images are are painted and produced to almost to comfort us in a way and it's 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 quite sad but at the same time when it's done in such a beautiful way as it has been done uh by uh louise bagnall and and the team at cartoon uh saloon and uh by frank dion and by others it's it's something quite magical and human as well and as a 2D animation fan, you know, of course, I, the second sort of watch through, I'm kind of enjoying more the actual visual execution and those beautiful transitions and the little approaches to the character work. Hmm. I like the little touch of the head being separated, just kind of not quite uh, connected there. Hmm. You know, little attention to detail and the kind of life story in reverse thing, or you think that's kind of what it is, but actually it's a kind of full circle thing. Yeah. You know, for the handful of minutes that we spend in this universe with these two characters, essentially, one of whom is very much entrenched in this world of her memories coming and going and interweaving and stuff, you really feel like you sort of, you know a lot about them and their relationship and how their relationship has been kind of strained. One particular moment toward the end, a little moment of brief recognition, which I think is like... That was the moment that really kind of got me, and uh, uh, the person I was watching it with, I know it tipped her over as well. It's lovely stuff, so. mm. which is a very uh, common summation when it comes to the work of Cartoon Saloon. They just do lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. That's why they should just put above the door. You are now entering a place where we do lovely stuff. One of the questions I do ask Louise uh, and Nuria is the fact that you know cartoon saloon seems like such a lovely family it's this you saw the video when when the oscars were being announced where they're all there packed in this room all sat on the couch just waiting and and cheering on their their friend who's um who 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 was possibly going to be nominated for an academy award and when she got nominated the room came to life you know it was uh, everyone jumped up and champagne popped and all that kind of stuff and it's just it's just absolutely lovely but it's also um what i always the sense i always get about cartoon saloon is from uh tom moore paul young 
uh, and Nora Toomey is that they're still kind of they're still learning it themselves and they're still kind of but not in that kind of inexperienced and naive learning it themselves but they're still kind of you know taking risks and it's like a huge company taking on the world but still quite a small intimate friendly place where persons people can uh you know just are able to express themselves artistically and you get some beautiful stuff even you know work the children's work like uh, puffin rock and, and and shows such as that which are just stylishly beautiful even though it's you know it's kids you could just throw some shapes at them and have a somebody do the voiceover it's fine no it's not it's crafted it's beautiful it's fantastic and you have people like louise and, and nuri who hop from short film to feature film to uh tv series and that just that's the dream isn't it ben as an animator it's one of the major ones i would say it's yeah. one of the reasons a lot of people kind of uh, embark on that journey Mm. Also, for so many people who actually get the chance to achieve that dream, to then actually produce something decent, it's yeah. also a pretty slim percentage. So, extra kudos. Mm. And on that jovial note, shall we uh, turn it over to our interview for this uh, for this episode? Yeah, so let's hear from uh, Louise Bagnall and Nuria Gonzalez-Blanco, the director and producer of Late Afternoon. We're here to discuss Late Afternoon, the film that's been doing incredibly well internationally and has recently scooped a Academy Award nomination. Uh, you guys must be quite excited about the, the, the results that you've been, uh, you've been getting with this film. Yeah, it's been, um, it's been very exciting um, and very, uh, I suppose, like quite overwhelming considering, you know, when you're making the short film, you're not really thinking too much about um, this other side of it. Um, so we're delighted to to be, like to find out the film has gotten this far, and for the whole team like that worked on it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's great, great that they can see. You know, they can say now, like you know, oh, I worked on an Oscar nominated <laughs> short and everything. So it's been brilliant. Yeah, it's been brilliant. Have you found it, Nuria? Oh, um, yeah, same. It's just we are over the moon. It's a great recognition for the hard work, and as Louise said, we. You never, you know, you're concentrating on making a really good film, and this is, of course, a great bonus because when you're happy with the film you made, you know, uh, you kind of feel, okay, this is it, you know, that's the end. But this is kind of an extra treat, and uh, and definitely for the whole team that works so hard, it's um, fantastic, and the studio that support this as well. You know, it just, it, it's gonna bring more work. Hopefully, it's going to give us, you know, that credibility, you know, extra to get more projects off the ground, so it's fantastic. You guys obviously work the day job at Cartoon Saloon as well, working on features and TV series, and so how did you guys come together as a team to produce this film? Um, so the film was, um, when, I, when I pitched it to, the car- to Cartoon Saloon, um, basically the idea was to apply for funding in Ireland for, um, for the short, which, um, which we got from Green Ireland and RTE. So we got funding to make it, which meant that rather than doing it, you know, uh, after hours, I was actually able to work on the short full time for, for the length that we were in production. Um, and then for the rest of the team, most, most of the rest of the team had to work on it uh, maybe in shorter, sort of short, shorter bursts. So it was like, you know, when, when people maybe were in between projects or when there was downtime on a project or, or things like that. So we were able to basically um, kind of you know, be flexible with people's time. And also, you know, we have to have some freelancers and things like that as well. 
Um, so it's kind of like uh, I was able to work on it all the time, but um, most of the rest of the team kind of was in bits and pieces. Yeah. yeah. In my case, the, the producer, um, I was uh, I spent a lot of time on it, but I also was able to manage another two projects as well. Um, but it, it, the case of these things is you always have to put a lot of your personal yeah. time as well. So we put a, a lot of extra personal time, of course, to reach the level that we wanted to, to yeah. reach. Which is, yeah, we're always, we're always ambitious yeah. with our projects. So they always take a good amount of time. Yeah, it was an intense sort of 10-month yeah. schedule yeah. <laughs> to make it. One of the most uh, striking things about the film, I would say, is, is the, uh, the beautiful transitions uh, that the film takes as it is a very sensitive story uh, regarding Alzheimer's, dementia. Um, is this, a, is this a, a story which has a personal side to it for, for either of you or, or did, it, did, that, did anything affect the story as it was coming together? Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's interesting because um, for myself, um, my own grandparents, they ha- didn't have dementia, but my grandmothers did have different, you know, age-related issues by being confused and some issues with memory loss. So when I was younger as a child, um, it didn't really, you know, it didn't really affect me that much, I suppose, because I just saw them, you know, I didn't know them when they were younger, I, you know, so I just saw them as, you know, sweet old ladies um, who were, you know, sneaking me biscuits. So for me, um, it's... It, it, it kind of made me think a lot more about my my grandmothers and the lives that they had and the lives that I the life the life that they had that I didn't know the part of them that I didn't know very well. So for me, that was kind of my own personal um, inspiration, I suppose, for the main character Emily in particular. Um, and then, like on a wider on a wider note, I suppose I I just thought that firstly, you know, it's something that affects. Uh, so many people, you know, it affects, it touches a lot of people's lives, so it's, in a way it's, it's quite a universal subject, um, and and also just wanting to look at, um, sort of, again, like looking closer at, um, you know, a woman's life and how, you know, her inner life and, and how she um, understands who she is and her identity, so for me, like, there was a kind of a mixture of um, a kind of a personal point of view, um, but also a desire to kind of tell stories about women and, and, and their lives. Interesting. I, I, I suppose, obviously, using that as a, as a mechanism, as a narrative mechanism, really helps you tell that, that story. How do you work stylistically? Do you work through scripts or sketches? What comes first for, uh, for yourself and the team? Yeah, so I think um, the first thing I had was, you know, at the very beginning, it's just in a sketchbook. You know, drawing, drawing, um, drawing the character, drawing just images that come to mind, and that helps me to kind of get a feeling on what it is I want to do with the film. And then um, when I, when I, after I pitched it to Nuria and to Cartoon Saloon, I wrote a script then and um, try and get it down in a sort of a kind of, in a one sense, the fastest way to make it a solid idea. You know, that everybody could understand and that we could pitch to, to uh, for funding. So um, the script for me was a good way in. I mean, there's dialogue in the film as well. And although there's a lot of visual ideas, you know, I think if you can make it work in a script, then, you know, that's a strong starting point. Mm-hmm. So we started off with the script on that, on that and with some concept art, although quite minimal. And then after we got funded, 
Um, I, I jumped into the storyboarding, so I boarded it, and that, a lot of the boarding, obviously, um, was about trying to figure out the visual language of the film and how to approach those transitional moments and the, the uh, camera moves and all of that kind of part of it. Um, and then on the other side of it, we had a couple of people come on the team, Anya McGuinness and Stefano Scatlin, who both did concept art, and they really helped to um, flesh out the kind of visual colours and, and the way we were going to use the colours and the lighting in the film, which became a very important part too. So um, it was kind of um, starting off from the script and then jumping into boards. And, um, and of course, like once, once you're in the boards, it does change. You know, it's not exactly how the original script was, but I think that's a, that's a pretty... I think that happens quite yeah. a lot in animation, doesn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Evolve. Yeah. The use of space and light and colour in the film, it is very carefully selected, isn't it? I, I believe. So, with the, um, the way we chose a lot of the details in the film in terms of the space and the lighting and even the camera moves, they were all connecting back into what we wanted the emotion at that moment to be in the film and to try and connect the audience with Emily. So, and with, and with her state of mind. So, um, for example, in, in, the, in the present day or the sitting room, we have a very flat, a really locked camera, very flat perspective and very little dynamic movement. Whereas in the memories, we get like, we really feel the full effect then of a moving camera and, you know, dynamic, dynamicis, dynamicism, sorry, and um, just a lot of more emotional feeling to the whole framing, the, the framing and everything like that. So these kind of contrasts were really important for us to, to get right because I think that's a lot of where the storytelling actually comes from. Mm. Um, yeah, and, then, and it was also the same, for instance, for the, the lighting and for the color. So with the color, we wanted the, we wanted the present day to, to feel warm. We didn't want it to feel cold and horrible. We, we still wanted it to feel warm, but the palette is a lot more limited in terms of the range of colors. So there's just a lot less uh, going on in the present day I suppose, in terms of like variety, um, whereas in the memories it's much more vibrant, much more um, high contrast, much, many more colors, um, and it's kind of more playful. So that, that they were all elements that we were using to try and convey um, the kind of transition and the difference between, you know, the past and the present, and also that Emily was much more connected with her memories than she was with the with what was around her in the present. So they were all elements that became really important. Uh, so, Nuria, you've produced on uh, on on TV series, and and you've done and you've done short film before, um, as well as working on uh, the Breadwinner. How what's the experience producing a short film? How's that contrast with working on other projects? Well, the the first thing I'll say is that you don't have to please anybody in particular, beside of. The producer, the, the, the director, <laughs> and myself, of course. I have to be happy with what I'm doing too. But uh, it, it just, you know, you're telling different stories there. You're telling most of the time a very personal story. If, even if it comes from, a, I don't know, the writer, you know, the, the director they take, takes it on board. It tends to be quite personal. It tends to be quite involved. And um, usually it's just it's a different type of a, of a storytelling. And... It's um, what mainly it depends with the type of the short story that you you want to tell. Some of them it might be just a comedy or a gag, but I tend to be involved in some usually something a little bit really deep emotionally, which uh, uh, for good and bad <laughs> it's quite intense. But um, I'll say it, you know, it tends to be 
they tend to be projects that you put a lot of your personal time on, and and they they tend to be projects that you know that they're not going to give any money or have a very wide audience. Or in this case, they obviously is having a great audience, which is amazing. But but you don't actually produce short for that. I mean, you obviously hope they'll do well, yeah. but you just want to make a really good film and tell tell a story that's important to you. Um, and I said that that may be the biggest difference. And usually, of course, there's not a lot of money. Uh, you have to think a lot about what crew you can get, who's available. They're products of passion, basically. So you ask a lot of favors. You, you just, you know, you have to sell your idea for what it is. Yeah. And people get involved because they love it as you do. So it's really exciting. I mean, I love short for that reason because they're really... The, the teams tend to be like a family. Although here in Curtain Saloon, to be honest, it's quite special because most teams and productions are like a big family. But um, yeah, with shorts, it's even more intense. That's a, that's a very good point you're saying about Cartoon Saloon being a, a big family because I kind of got that impression through the, uh, the Oscar reveal video that was put out. Everyone all crammed <laughs> into one big room, apart from yourselves who were... Uh, uh, the other side of the world or somewhere else by the looks of things. Um, yeah. But uh, everyone all gathered together, almost in the living room, waiting for their, um, for their family to be uh, <laughs> announced a big moment on TV. It does seem like quite a, like a, uh, as, big as, as big as the name Cartoon Saloon is, uh, it does seem like a small studio taking on, on the world. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, that experience working at Cartoon Saloon? You've both worked there for quite a long while, haven't you? Um, yeah, I think we've both been working here. Uh, I've been here for about five years now. Yeah, I've been around six counting the year. Yeah, four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, so we've both been here for a little while. So we've worked on. We've both worked on quite a few different projects, and um, it's something about the, the culture in the in the studio. It's, I mean, it's also grown a lot in the last few years, but still, it's managed to retain this feeling of um, kind of like you know. Like family in the sense of in, in the in the best sense of it in terms of like you know that people care about each other and that there's a feeling of like um, you know enthusiasm and encouragement of you know I suppose people's opportunities you're trying to make sure that people you know get opportunities that they want and, and things like that so it really feels like a, a nice place to work. Yeah, it's a big respect and care yeah. for everybody's roles and, and mm-hmm. definitely you know. Encouraging everyone to do better, yeah, and, and then and a kind of a quite a, quite a collaborative studio in terms of like you know, um, the, the the hierarchy is not um, pushed down onto people too strongly. So you know that you know everybody is approachable in the studio, which is great as well. So it just it just lends itself a nice atmosphere. Um, so I think that that really does make a difference in the sense that like when you are making a project like a short film, like like we made. You know, it is a passion project. Um, you know, the budgets are always quite tight. So when you know that people, you know, people know that, and they, but they still want to work on it. You know, they still want to, they still want to, um, you know, give give something to it. So it was great. It was great to be able to make the project here, and just um, it's lovely now that, like, in a way, the team are getting an extra reward for working on it. That, like, you know, now they can see that it's it's doing well and that a lot of people are noticing it. So, yeah, yeah it's nice. And I think the environment in Cartoon Saloon really uh, it pushes creativity because if you're comfortable and you feel that you can be listened to without being laughed at or mocked at, like, 
get you more open to say things that they might actually be quite silly or they've, uh, but yeah. still, you know, that's brilliant because then you keep coming up with ideas and ideas and ideas and that's what, you know, I think that it takes many of the projects uh, quite far, you know, you have that, that time and that uh, space to explore. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. Pretty cool place to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. What can we say? I mean, yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. still here after we five years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, heading heading back to the film, um, I I wonder what the experience was in in keeping the the narrative balance between Kate and Emily in the film because that's quite an important part of of the film itself. I know the film has been released online for a limited period, so I'm sure lots of people have seen it or they may have seen it at animation festivals uh, around the world. So I don't know how you'd be able to answer this spoiler-free, but um, <laughs> how did you keep the uh, the narrative balance, or how important was the narrative balance between Kate and Emily in the film? Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, it, it is a, an important part of the film, but for me, it wasn't. It wasn't their relationship. It's not the most important part. Um, but you know, I think it does in terms of. Um, I think like. You know whether audiences understand. You know before Emily understands and and all that kind of. This is hard to explain without spoiling it, but I'll just try. Um, if Emily, you know, if the audience understands before Emily does, I I don't really mind that. You know, I I wasn't trying to make it like too much of a twist. For me, it was just trying to. You were just trying to. I was trying to follow Emily's journey and her understanding how that grows, but. It was it was tricky. I mean, I think with the dialogue, I was very careful about exactly what the characters said to each other, and we we um we definitely tested that a few times in the animatic stage. We showed quite a few people and asked them what they thought was happening at certain points in the film, just to see what was what was actually coming across and what people were able were missing or what they were getting and and what they were reading into it. So it was quite a careful balance. It was a careful balance between the two things. Um, and like you know, and it's been interesting. Some some audiences, um, yeah, some audiences pick up on it very quickly. Others others only get it right at the end. And then and then sometimes as well, like you know, I've had so in the course of the film, Kate is packing away a lot of the things in the room. Uh, and some audience and and I've had most of the time people understand kind of maybe you know they get eventually why maybe she's packing things away you know because Emily. In my mind, Emily was basically, you know, she's not going to be staying in, in this house, in her house for a lot, lot longer. So, um, in, but it, I've had, sorry, I have had some people wondering, like, you know, why is, why is Kate packing things away? So it's been interesting to see what, um, what things that you put in there, what actually the audiences pick up on and, and which ones that some audiences pick up on but others don't. Yeah, but we, we also based it a lot on reality. I mean, we, we had a consultant that worked uh, with, they worked with um, people with, that lived with dementia, and uh, we weren't trying to do a cheat for the sake of it. Like, no. it's all very based on real, yeah. like, what really happens when when someone with dementia um, has a carer, and what happens there, what is their relationship, how much they connect with each other, and... Um, so it actually, in a way, like uh, it, it, it was tricky to get the balance, but it was a, a lot of it. It was really based on what really happened. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic, and and all, the film's all the more brilliant for it. I would say. Um, so, 
I suppose here's the inevitable question about in, in terms of the the future. Um, I know uh, Louise, you're working as assistant director on uh, Nora Toomey's new film, uh, My Father's Dragon, for Netflix. Uh, and, and Nuria, you're still working uh, uh, for the studio as well. Uh, what, what can you guys tell us about what you're working on at the moment? Well, uh, in, in my case, I mean, I'm an associate producer in a show, a TV show called Dor Pandango, which is a co-production with this Canadian studio called DHX for Nickelodeon. Uh, and I'm also looking after the TV, TV babies, the TV nurseries, so all, the, all the development projects to be that come in. Uh, one of them actually is Louise's creation and another one is actually my creation. So we, we are quite exciting, exciting times ahead on the TV yeah. side too. Um, and then, I mean, yeah, there's uh, a bit of things, of course, I mean, and I'm sure Louise is the same. There's always things in the back of her, her head that yeah. she wants to do. And yeah, uh, it's the same, the same for, for me. Yeah. But uh, for now, I think that's quite a good bulk of work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in, in a couple of weeks, back in, getting back to reality for yeah. sure again. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So my, my main role is um, at, at the moment, like as you said, is assistant director on My Father's Dragon, which is Nora Nora Toomey's next feature film, which we're making with Netflix. So we've we've haven't I think we're we're in pre production now, but we've only I can't remember when I started. I think it was probably four or five months ago. So it's still quite early on in the project, but very exciting. Um, but of course now I'm having to sort of take a couple of weeks away from the project just to focus back on late afternoon. Um, and then after that, I mean, there's always, you know, with animation, it takes so long to make things and to get things out in the world that, um, you know, you're, you're kind of got more than one, more than one thing in the frying pan at the same time. But uh, for me, My Father's Dragon is the, is the big project that I'm going to be working on. Yeah. I, I I've looked at your, your, both your biographies and I often wonder how you keep your head straight in terms of, you know, you've been working on Wolf Walkers and Puffin Rock and Breadwinner and Father's Dragon and this is hopping from, from um, TV series to short film to feature film to... It, it, must, it must be a bit of a whirlwind for both of you to, <laughs> to hop between these projects. I know you're not hopping between them, but uh, to, to wonder. It must be the variety... Of stuff that you're yeah. working on. Yeah, I really like the. Yeah, me too. I love yeah. the variety. It's what keeps it exciting. It's just yeah. There was some. I remember a couple. And it wasn't recently, but a couple of years ago, I was working on three different projects in one week. So I'd have two days on one project, two days on another project, and one day on a third project. <laughs> that was maybe pushing it a bit. Um, but generally speaking, um, I actually really enjoy working in different projects, in different positions as well. Um, so like on Puff and Rock, I was character designer. And then on Wolf Walkers, they've been on the storyboard team. And now I'm doing assistant directing. And I enjoy the different roles because for me, it's a great opportunity to learn about different areas. But also just, you know, like you're, you're trying, your skill set is being pushed. You're being challenged in different ways. So not only are you learning by, you know, working with different directors or different supervisors and things like that, but you're also learning because, you know, your, your skill set's being challenged. So... I really enjoy I really enjoy the different projects. For me as well, with all the saloon projects, I think there's a quality there. So I always feel like we're trying to make sure that you know it, it really is good. It doesn't matter the project. You know, it doesn't matter short film or speech film. We're always trying to make sure the quality is is reaching the top. So that's important too. Fantastic. Um, will Will you guys return to the short film format after uh, your current adventures? 
Absolutely, but not sure when, but yes. <laughs> I'm, uh, actually, it could be sooner than expected. I, I do, I'm always kind of on the, on the I, it feels like a bit, I mean, like a pregnancy sometimes, you know, like a, you, you end up delivering the short and you're like, never again, that was too hard. And, but then, then you're just like, oh, but maybe another one, you know, when you see the right idea and you see something that you're passionate, like maybe as it was for, for me right now, as a, as a producer, I just can't help if I see some, you know, a director I like to work with and an idea that I, I just become really passionate about. I just, I just have the need to make it happen. So I can just let it just, Rot there, you know. It's like no, we we need to show this to the world. It needs it needs to be out there. Uh, but it is again, it's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of investment personally. So you need to kind of be ready for it again. Just kind of recharge batteries and just go for it. But I'll say that I love it for sure. Like I, I love I love the short film format. So hopefully. I suppose that pregnancy analogy, the idea of uh, being, being nagged when you're going to have your next one, I suppose that makes journalists <laughs> like myself the uh, annoying mother-in-law. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's nice to have everybody cooing over the baby, you know? Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, uh, thank you both very much for talking to Squiggly today. Thank you, Louise Bagnall. Thank you, uh, Nuria Gonzalez-Blanco, for coming and talking about Late Afternoon. It is an absolutely wonderful film, and I do look forward to when it is uh, released online permanently, shall we say, or when it is released. Uh, so, so those that have not seen the film get a chance to see it. But congratulations uh, on all your success, and very best of luck for uh, future success. Thank you so much to Louise Bagnall and Nuria Gonzalez Blanco. And be sure to visit cartoonsaloon.ie for more of the studio's beautiful work. If you've got that Oscar fever, you might also want to listen to our interviews with fellow nominees Alison Snowden and David Fine, directors of Animal Behaviour, in episode 81 of the podcast, and Trevor Jimenez, director of Weekends, in episode 83. The winner will be announced at the Oscars ceremony this Sunday evening, the 24th, or the wee hours of the 25th, for those of us on this side of the pond. Well, that's all for us this episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Squiggly, Instagram, at Squiggly Animation, and Facebook.com slash Squiggly Magazine. I'm on Twitter, at Ben L. Mitchell, and Steve is at Mr. Underscore S. Underscore Henderson. Follow us both. We're delightful! We'll be back in the not-too-distant for episode 90. Good gravy. Until then, happy animating you.